Welcome in once again. Our next guest has been misunderstood in her career. Her name is Laura Khalil, and she found out that what she thought were liabilities were actually leadership strengths. She helps others reach their full potential through mindset work and more. Let's get going. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. Episode number 118 begins right now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Litnikoff, and we have another great guest coming up. And I'm going to give you her name in a second, but I want to read a little bit of her bio. So she is the number one transformational speaker helping Fortune 500 companies close the leadership and wage gap for women in business. And she teaches women and allies how to develop the habit of courage to achieve their dreams. She's spoken to audiences at Forbes, WeWork, Creative mornings, Zingrain, and much, much more. And you got to love her website, forceofbadassery.com. Laura Khalil, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. And I just can't wait to dive in, Jeff. Where do you want me to start? Well, I'll tell you what, I would bet that when you were coming up, that a career path wasn't to be the number one transformational speaker for Fortune 500 companies. So there's got to be a great story behind that. So I'd love to start there. Let's do it. You know, it's funny. I always like to joke that it's not like I graduated from college and was like, well, I'm going to be a public speaker. And, you know, it never happens that way. And the force of badassery, no, that all came with time. And um, the way that that happened is an experience that I think a lot of women who are like me have felt. I cut my teeth in Silicon Valley in my first earliest job career working in marketing. And I, as my last name may suggest to some of you, I am the child of immigrants. My dad is from Egypt. My mom is Lebanese. My parents came here. My dad likes to joke that he arrived. He came from Cairo in August, and the only thing he knew was that it was cold. So he came wearing all the sweaters he had and, like, 20 bucks that he someone had given him, and that was it. My parents were, like, the definition of the American dream. And they always said, Laura, just work really hard, and whatever company you go into – Act like you're the manager. Act with that, like it's that important to you, and you will rise. Show them that you care. Show them that it matters. So I said, okay, guys. So I got into my earlier job experiences. I was working in Silicon Valley. I was working in tech marketing. And I would go into these boardrooms, and I would see how the guys would act. And I would say, well, I'm going to do what they're doing. That's what I was taught. So I would go in and I would put forth my ideas and projects and advocate for my things. And after a while, my boss came and he pulled me aside and he said, um, Laura, we've got some feedback for you. And I said, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, you're intimidating the men in the boardroom. Now, you have to remember, I at this point was maybe 27 years old, 28 years old. These guys were 10 to 20 years older than me, had way more experience, had been around the block. And I kept thinking, how on earth is little old me intimidating 
these guys in the boardroom. I don't get it. And so his advice to me, and I think he was really trying to be a friend, his advice to me said, Laura, all you need to do is to soften your language and smile more. And that really, as a young woman who was in one of her earlier job experiences, that really stung because I couldn't understand why uh, there was what seemed to me like a double standard. And I ended up going through very similar experiences over the next several years. I'd like to say that I was collecting an unofficial PhD and getting laid off because I could get myself laid off for being too bold, um, too much of a go-getter, just too much, and they didn't like it. They always said, hey, Laura, your work is awesome. But, like, could you just, you know, basically not be you? And... After doing that for a number of years, in 2013, I had enough. And as many people know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I was feeling pretty crazy. And I knew that whenever I have an experience that keeps happening over and over and over, there's only one common denominator. And that is me. And I knew in that moment that because I could not change the core essence of my personality of being a bold, brave, and courageous woman, the only thing I could do was change the circumstances in which I worked. And so it was in this day in 2013, I had been laid off from yet another job, and I decided that I was going to start a tech marketing consulting business because I thought, well, I'm not hireable full time. I'm going to go work for myself. And it was in doing that. And I realized very quickly within the first six weeks of doing that and just putting myself out there, I got my first Fortune 500 client. That was Intel. Then I was working with GE about six weeks after that, Twitter, and on and on and on. And I had more success professionally in the first couple years of my business than I had ever had in my full-time career. Now, that's not to say that you can't be successful in a full-time job. Many people are. But what I realized for me is that all of the traits that had penalized me in these very toxic environments were actually my greatest assets as a leader and in many cases, as an entrepreneur. And so that is how I ended up becoming a speaker because people would ask me as I ran my business and I built a very successful tech marketing business, they would say, Laura, how the heck did you do this? And I would go on stage and I would start talking about it. And I would talk a lot about the mindset for being successful. Now, this is important because running a business is not rocket science. We have been doing it for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So there are, especially since the Industrial Revolution, especially in the last 30 years, lots of time-tested, proven advice and knowledge for how to build and scale a business. So you can go find that knowledge. So what I found was wrong and what was going on with people is that they were getting trapped in their mindset. They were getting trapped 
in not growing the business or encountering challenges that were really forms of self-sabotage because they didn't have a foundation in self-worth. And by self-worth, I mean believing that they were worthy of their success, of going big, and of thinking about their lives in much bigger terms than maybe what they had been taught by their family, by their community, and their culture. And that is what stops people. If you grew up in a family that always told you you could only go so high and don't dream big, and, you know, that's for that's for risk takers and you're not a risk taker. If you grew up with that mentality, it will follow you into your adulthood more likely than not. And more likely than not, it'll appear like a whisper in the form of your inner critic. And that is what stops people. So my mission today is to work with people to rewrite the narratives and the stories that they live by so they can develop the confidence clarity, and courage to succeed in their careers, whether they choose to work full-time or launch their own business. Well, let's talk about one thing that you mentioned in your bio, and I would assume this is what had happened to you a lot, but you say that often women, and you also say people of color, can be victims of microaggressions. And maybe you you could talk about what that is and then how to overcome that. Sure. So microaggressions are usually born out of an unconscious bias that someone has. An unconscious bias is assuming, and we all, by the way, just to normalize this for the audience, Everyone has unconscious biases. It's, bias is a part of how our brain works as humans. It's why we instinctively know to run or to play dead when we see a bear. Right? It's that, that's how our brain works. It sort of remembers these. It puts that in memory so we don't have to remember, oh, it's a bear. What do I do? How do I think about this? Is this dangerous? So that's what a bias is in its simplest form. And we have thousands of biases. But what happens when we are in the workplace is those biases can kind of come into play in really subtle but destructive ways. So, for example, if you grew up or someone grew up and they only learned that the people who committed crimes were black, then they may cross the street whenever they see a black man walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the day, right? That's an unconscious bias, and it is the action that it is appearing in is the microaggression of I'm going to cross the street because I'm scared of you. Now, there's no reason to be scared of that person. They've not done anything to you, but that is something that can be in memory based on what you've learned or experiences that you may have been told about. And that's, that's what we call a microaggression. So how does this appear in the workplace? Well, this appears in a number of ways. Let's talk specifically for a moment about women, because this can happen with women who, in any industry, but specifically uh, in industries where it has predominantly been male-dominated. We can talk about accounting. We can talk about technology, medicine. A microaggression in those industries, this is what I hear from a lot of the people who go through my work, 
and my workshops is, can be something like, oh, we don't hire women to do this. Another form can be, well, we've never hired a woman to do this. It can also appear in ways, for example, if a woman is pregnant, um, we, and it can appear in a way that can seem really kind, like, oh, we don't want to give our pregnant colleague more work, or we don't want to give her this new opportunity in the office to advance her career because, you know, she's going to be having the baby and she's going to be so busy with that. That's a form of benevolent sexism. And so these are all microaggressions that occur among women, occur to people of color as well. If you've ever been in an office where a black woman has been asked to have her hair touched, um, that is a great example, very common example of a microaggression. And so in the work that I do with individuals, most of the time people are not conscious that their behavior is offensive to anyone else. They have absolutely no idea that you may be offended by what I was just said. So we have to work on bringing up awareness. And the way that we do that is by, by getting curious. And here's what I mean by that. If someone says to you in a workplace setting, we don't actually hire any women engineers and you're, let's say, new on the job and you're the first woman engineer, I want you to get curious by asking a question about what they just said. So the first thing we want to do is never respond to the statement because responding to that statement justifies the statement. And we are, we are not justifying the statement. So we're getting curious and we're going to say, what do you mean by that? How do you think that would make me feel? Do you think that's appropriate to say to someone on their first day on the job as the only woman here? We're just going to ask a question back. And you'll notice for those who are listening to this episode, I'm not sounding aggressive. I'm not sounding emotional. I'm just very calmly asking the question back. And now here's the key. And this is a great technique that I learned from uh, hostage negotiator Chris Voss. Chris Voss has a great technique. After you ask that question, hold the silence for at least four seconds because that makes people uncomfortable enough to actually force them to respond. So that's the first step that I recommend for everyone. Just get curious and ask. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't believe we are into our final two questions here. And of course, <laughs> it's great content, great information. And we are going to put links to all of your stuff. I mean, for, first of all, I just love saying it, force of badassery. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, my clean rating is now going to go away on uh, on the uh, Apple podcast, but that's okay. I, love I hope s- not. <laughs> no, I hope not either. But no, I love saying it. And then, of course, there's uh, you're you're on Instagram and Twitter and all those other good things. But uh, do you have any other resources that you'd like to tell people about that maybe are out- outside? Okay. Yeah. So first thing is. I do. I, I also produce a podcast. It's called Brave by Design. You can find it anywhere you go listen to podcasts, and you can also learn more at forceofbadassery.com or bravebydesign.net. They actually go to the same place. 
And that's where I have tons of resources uh, and a lot of mindset training, which I love to give. So you can um, learn more about that at forceofbadassery.com. All right. I love that. All right. Well, we are going to hand the mic to you, a fellow podcaster, handing the mic to a fellow <laughs> podcaster, and have oh, you address the audience with, and I know it's going to be great, so address the audience with whatever you'd like to talk about as we close out the podcast. The floor is yours, Laura. Wow. Well, <laughs> I think that one thing that I would love to leave women with is to remember that in any situation, one of the reasons why women don't rise, and certainly there are lots of reasons related to uh, the behavior of our male counterparts, but one reason that women can control is that we are not very good at talking about our accomplishments. And we know from the research that that is one reason why women can be overlooked for promotions and advancement. For all of you listening, I would really strongly encourage you to think about what are the things I did this week that I'd like my manager or my leadership team or my clients, if you're an entrepreneur, to know about. And do not be afraid to get in the habit of systematically sharing that advice with whoever it is that needs to hear it, who can help control some of your destiny and how you rise or in how you build contracts with people. I see men doing this all the time very easily. And I see women hoping that they are just noticed and that they are judged based on the work. But the fact is nobody knows what you're doing if you don't tell them. So I really want to encourage everyone listening, start telling us about your accomplishments. Many of you are just as comfortable talking about the things you're not good at instead of talking about the things you are. So it's okay. We all have things we're not good at. We talk about them sometimes, but give equal weight to the things you are good at. So let us know how you, how we can work with you, how we can learn from you, because that's how you're really going to grow. That's my final piece of advice for the audience. Well, Laura Khalil, and you, of course, are really good at dispensing a lot of value bombs to the audience. And <laughs> very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Laura Khalil, forceofbadassery.com. I'm <laughs> risking the podcast clean rating once again, but I don't care because it's so, it's so cool to say. And uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, your personal brand is important. And Kelly Glover, our next guest, is seasoned in the media world and emphasizes the relevance of your personal brand. To set yourself apart, you must actively work to take control of your brand. And Kelly is going to enlighten you a little bit right here. Your personal brand is relevant whether you have your own business, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you are an employee or you're in the gig economy. Because if you want a job, if you want a promotion, if you want to get clients and you're in a commoditized market, the only thing that sets you apart is your personal brand. So it's hugely important. And if you want a promotion, then your personal brand is what's going to set you apart as well. So there's who you think you are, who you say you are, who you actually are, and how others perceive you. And they're not all the same thing. I think a lot of people think they're one thing, but they're actually not, and people see them in a different way. I'm going to admit something. My personal brand and Athena's personal brand, at least part of it anyway, is to get more listeners for this podcast. 
two simple things you can do. One, rate and review the podcast. Two, share the podcast. Hey, regardless though, we appreciate you listening, even if you don't do those two things. But if you could do at least one of the two, it would help us out immensely. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next podcast.